Chapter Seventy of the Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Jealousy of the Cardinal. The Cardinal passed three nights very differently to those when he went to the park, and which he constantly lived over again in his memory. No news of any one, no hope of a visit, nothing but a dead silence and perfect darkness after such brightness and happiness. He began to fear that, after all, his sacrifice had been displeasing to the queen. His uneasiness became insupportable. He sent ten times in one day to Madame de Lamotte. The tenth messenger brought Jeanne to him. On seeing her, he cried out, "'How? You live so tranquilly. You know my anxiety, and you, my friend, never come near me.' "'Oh, Monseigneur, patience, I beg.' I have been far more useful to you at Versailles than I could have been here. "'Tell me,' replied he, "'what does she say? Is she less cruel?' "'Absence is equal pain, whether born at Versailles or at Paris.' "'Oh, I thank you, but the proofs!' "'Proofs? Are you in your senses, Monseigneur?' to ask a woman for proofs of her own infidelity? I am not speaking of proofs for a lawsuit, Countess, only a token of love. It seems to me that you are either very exacting or very forgetful. Oh, I know you will tell me that I might be more than satisfied, but judge for yourself, Countess, would you like to be thrown on one side after having received assurances of favor? Assurances? Oh, certainly. I have nothing to complain of, but still... I cannot be answerable for unreasonable discontents. Countess, you treat me ill. Instead of reproaching me for my folly, you should try to aid me. I cannot aid you. I see nothing to do. Nothing to do? No. Well, madame, I do not say the same. Huh. Monseigneur, anger will not help you, and besides, you are unjust. No, countess, if you do not assist me any longer, I know it is because you cannot. Only tell me the truth at once. What truth? That the queen is a perfidious coquette, who makes people adore her and then drives them to despair. Jean looked at him with an air of surprise, although she had expected him to arrive at this state, and she felt really pleased, for she thought that it would help her out of her difficult position. Explain yourself, she said. Confess that the queen refuses to see me. I do not say so, Monseigneur. She wishes to keep me away, lest I should rouse the suspicions of some other lover. Ha! Ah, Monseigneur, cried Jean in a tone which gave him liberty to suspect anything. Listen, continued he, the last time I saw her, I thought I heard steps in the wood. Folly. 
and i suspect say no more monseigneur it is an insult to the queen besides even if it were true that she fears the surveillance of another lover why should you reproach her with a past which she has sacrificed to you but if this past be again a present and about to be a future fie monseigneur your suspicions are offensive both to the queen and to me then countess bring me a proof does she love me at all it is very simple replied jean pointing to his writing-table to ask her you will give her a note who else would if not i and you will bring me an answer if possible ah now you are a good creature countess he sat down but though he was an eloquent writer he commenced and destroyed a dozen sheets of paper before he satisfied himself if you go on so you will never have done said jean you see countess i fear my own tenderness lest i displease the queen oh replied jean if you write a business letter you will get one in reply that is your own affair you are right countess you always see what is best he then wrote a letter so full of loving reproaches and ardent protestations that jean when he gave it to her to read thought he has written of his own accord what i never should have dared to dictate will it do asked he if she loves you you will see to-morrow till then be quiet till to-morrow then on her return home jean gave way to her reflections this letter was just what she wanted how could the cardinal ever accuse her when he was called on to pay for the necklace even admitting that the queen and cardinal met and that everything was explained how could they turn against her while she held in her hands such proofs of a scandalous secret no they must let her go quietly off with her fortune of a million and a half of franc they would know she had stolen the diamonds but they never would publish all this affair and if one letter was not enough she would have seven or eight the first explosion would come from the jewellers who would claim their money then she must confess to m de rohan and make him pay by threatening to publish his letters surely they would purchase the honour of a queen and a prince at the price of a million and a half the jewellers once paid that question was at an end jean felt sure of her fortune she knew that the cardinal had a conviction so firm that nothing could shake it that he had met the queen there was but one living witness against her and that one she would soon cause to disappear arrived at this point she went to the window and saw oliva who was watching in her balcony she made the accustomed sign for her to come down and oliva replied joyfully the great thing now was to get rid of her to destroy the instrument that has served them is the constant endeavor of those who intrigue but here it is that they generally fail they do not succeed in doing so before there has been time to disclose the secret jean knew that oliva would not be easy to get rid of unless she could think of something that would induce her to fly willingly 
Oliva, on her part, much as she enjoyed her nocturnal promenades at first, after so much confinement, was already beginning to weary of them and to sigh once more for liberty and beausire. The night came, and they went out together, Oliva disguised under a large cloak and hood, and Jean dressed as a grisette, besides which the carriage bore the respectable arms of Valois, which prevented the police, who alone might have recognized Oliva from searching it. "'Oh, I have been so ennuyé,' cried Oliva. "'I have been expecting you so long.' "'It was impossible to come and see you. I should have run and made you run a great danger.' "'How so?' said Oliva, astonished. "'A terrible danger at which I still tremble. You know how ennuyé you were, and how much you wished to go out.' "'Yes, and you assisted me like a friend.' certainly i propose that we should have some amusement with that officer who is rather mad and in love with the queen whom you resemble a little and endeavour to persuade him that it was the queen he was walking with yes said oliva the first two nights you walked in the park and you played your part to perfection he was quite taken in yes said oliva but it was almost a pity to deceive him poor fellow he was so delightful yes but the evil is not there to give a man a rose to let him kiss your hands and call you your majesty was all good fun but my little oliver it seems you did not stop here oliver colored how stammered she there was a third interview yes replied oliver hastily you know for you were there excuse me dear friend i was there but at a distance i neither saw nor heard what passed within i only know what you told me that he talked and kissed your hands oh mon dieu murmured oliva you surely could not have exposed us both to such a terrible danger without telling me of it oliva trembled from head to foot jean continued how could i imagine that you who said you loved monsieur beausire and were courted by a man like count cogliostro whom you refused oh it cannot be true but where is the danger asked oliva the danger have we not to manage a madman one who fears nothing and will not be controlled it was no great thing for the queen to give him her hand to kiss or to give him a rose oh my dear child i have not smiled since i heard this what do you fear asked oliva her teeth chattering with terror why as you are not the queen and have taken her name and in her name have committed a folly of this kind that is unfortunately treason he has no proof of this they may be satisfied with a prison or banishment a prison banishment shrieked oliva i at least intend to take precautions and hide myself you fear also oh will not this madman divulge my share also my poor oliva this trick of yours will cost us dear oliva burst into tears oh she cried 
i think i am possessed of a demon that i can never rest just saved from one danger i must rush into another suppose i confess all to my protector a fine story to confess to him whose advances you refused that you have committed this imprudence with a stranger Adieu, you are right soon this report will spread and will reach his ears then do you not think he will give you up to the police even if he only send you away what will become of you oh i am lost and monsieur beausire when he shall hear this oliva started and wringing her hands violently cried out oh he would kill me but no i will kill myself you cannot save me since you are compromised also i have replied jeanne in the furthest part of picardy a little farm if you can gain this refuge you might be safe but you oh once you were gone i should not fear him i will go whenever you like i think you are wise must i go at once wait till i have prepared everything to ensure safety meanwhile hide yourself and do not come near the window oh yes dear friend and to begin let us go home as there is no more to say how long will your preparations take i do not know but remember henceforth until the day of your departure i shall not come to the window when you see me there you will know that the day has arrived and be prepared they returned in silence on arriving oliva begged pardon humbly of her friend for bringing her into so much danger through her folly i am a woman replied jeanne and can pardon a woman's weakness End of chapter seventy Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.